Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Scotiabank Arena, they're all on their feet. Inbound to Hill, launching a three at the horn. High in the air, no good. They've done it. They've finally done it. The Raptors are the Eastern Conference champs. And for the first time ever, the NBA Finals will be played on Canadian soil. The Raptors take the final four games and oust the Milwaukee Bucks in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Game one of the NBA Finals can be heard right here on ESPN 1000 Thursday nights. Mark Kester, Hubie Brown will be on the call for that one, just like they were there as the Raptors eliminate the Milwaukee Bucks on Saturday and advance to their first NBA Finals. I'm Jeff Meller, along with Chris Black, filling in for Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood this evening. We will be talking with the Raptors play-by-play man Eric Smith in about 10 minutes from now. Let you hear his thoughts on the Raptors season that has been an interesting one, to say the least. When uh, Masai Ujiri made the Kawhi Leonard trade, a lot of people were quite skeptical. But I would say it has worked out, certainly. But I will be curious to see how this plays out if Kawhi Leonard does leave. The Raptors made the NBA Finals, but if they come up just short, Will everybody still feel as warm and fuzzy about the Kawhi Leonard experience in Toronto if he does happen to leave? Doesn't matter if you get to the finals. You know, as the Bulls fans, we're sitting here in downtown Chicago. You know, listen, they're going to be playing basketball at the end of May into June. Mm -hmm. It's something we have not seen since 1998 in this city. Yes. Uh, It's awesome to go through an NBA Finals series. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to cover a Western Conference, Eastern Conference Finals series where you have each and every day, you have a day off, you look forward to the next game. You have things to watch and think about late into May. It's awesome. In Toronto, they celebrated and partied on Saturday night as they advanced to the finals. I think it's worth it mm-hmm. because they proved that if you go for it, you will be rewarded. Who knows what happens in the finals? I think we could all kind of look at all the stats and look at how everything's going to break down, and we'd probably all kind of agree that the Warriors are the better team. They're probably going to win this series. They're the betting favorite. But if Kawhi Leonard leaves, isn't it worth it? If you're a Bulls fan and you told me next year Mm -hmm. the Bulls could rent a player, whoever it is, just that player's out there, Bulls can rent a player for one season. And that player will leave after that season's over. Yes. You don't have to to pull apart your entire roster. Uh, you may have to lose maybe one of your best players. But for the most part, the team is, is for the most part, there. Same. That player is going to leave after you get there. But next season, with that rent-a-player, you get to play in the Eastern Conference Finals. And, he'll take and, your, and you make the Finals. And you'll take your chances in the Finals and see what happens. Would Bulls fans sign up for that? Yeah, right. Ab- absolutely. And, you know, I just I asked the question and in all in all reality, I applaud Messiah um, Jerry for for dealing DeMar DeRozan because they had seen enough with DeMar DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan sure. as the linchpin of their team. They had come to the realization that they probably were not going to go deep into the playoffs if they continued to try and do what they were doing and bang their head against the wall with the DeRozan Raptors. And so, you know what? He made a bold move knowing that there was probably at least a 50% chance that, and, and I think that's probably on the low side, at least a 50% chance that Kawhi Leonard would not return. And yet still, he was not deterred. He said, you know what? 
it is worth it to put the best team I possibly can put together for the 2019 season and see what happens. And I will say, I think, even though I love the Warriors, I think I am rooting for the Raptors to be rewarded for that boldness. And I would love to see Kawhi Leonard lift the Larry O'Brien trophy above his head and then uh, head on out to L.A. after it's all said and done. Listen, I I know how it works. Uh, TV ratings don't account for the Canadian television market. So the ratings for these NBA finals are going to be down. But I assume, like what you just said, Jeff, is a lot of people are probably going to be rooting against the Golden State Warriors. They want to see Toronto, the, the team that's never been there before, the team that has a fun, cool story, to probably upset and pull off one of the best upsets that we could kind of imagine in basketball history and in recent basketball history. Everyone assumes that Golden State's going to win this series. And I I think if you take the pulse of the nation, a lot of people would probably like to see Golden State lose. Now, it it all will come down to whether or not Kevin Durant plays. If Kevin Durant is playing Hmm. by game two... You think it definitely depends on on Durant playing? Well, here's the thing. Uh, Toronto has a puncher's chance yes. if Durant doesn't play in this series. I, I think that changes the dynamic of how slanted we think the odds are. Yeah. If Durant plays in this series, I think clearly Golden State's going to be the favorite. Clearly, they're going to win this series. But if, if Toronto can face more than uh, one or two games with Durant, that might be enough of an edge mm-hmm. to flip the series. You have home court advantage already. You steal game one. Who knows what happens in game two? You head to Oracle. The Warriors have been a bit suspect at Oracle at times this season. And and that's where you can maybe have a case for Kawhi and the Raptors to upset the Warriors. Now, the problem with that whole theory is I think Durant's playing in game two. I mean, he hasn't traveled in the last two series uh, with the team when he's been injured, and he's traveling with the Warriors to Toronto. So he's ruled out for game one. Yes. I think you're going to see him in game two. He, yeah, as Chris mentioned, he was officially ruled out for game one with the strained right calf. But, yes, he did travel with the team to Toronto, so he will be there. And it If would, there wasn't a possibility, he would not have traveled certainly. with the team. And so that makes things... Look, I think on both ends, it's very interesting no matter which team ends up winning this series because... You can look at the Warriors and the whole Durant saga that is, you know, hanging over them as an interesting uh, narrative that's worth watching and see how that plays out with free agency or, again, with Kawhi. Can Kawhi lead the Raptors to a title? And if he did, would that even be enough to sway Kawhi Leonard, probably the least person in the, uh, the NBA person in the league who's least likely to be swayed by emotion? And remember, in the NBA Finals, you get multiple days off in between games. Yes. So even if, uh, say, he doesn't, because he's not going to play in game one, game two is until Sunday. Yes. So, I mean, from right now, you're talking about almost a full week that he has until we get to Sunday. I mean, that's a long time. And then between game two and t- game three, you have three days. Yes. You know, the game three of the NBA Finals isn't until June 5th. That's a Wednesday, yeah. You know, June 5th, uh, game four Wednesday. is June seventh. That's that's you know, it's we're sitting at the twenty eighth of May. Weeks away, yes. Yeah, right. So like this series is going to take some time to play out. So I think you will see Kevin Durant. And uh, a couple things to kind of look back to during the regular season. Toronto won both contests against the Warriors in the regular season. Uh, the first game was uh, November 29th. It was in Toronto. It was an overtime game. Uh, the Raptors won 131 to 128. Durant had 50 points in that game, and the Raptors still won. 
So that's something to kind of point out. Durant in that game had 51 and 11. He shot the ball 31 times. Uh, also uh, in that game, I don't believe Steph Curry played in that contest in the first one. Uh, Quinton Cook was his starting point guard for the Warriors that night. So that's something to keep in mind. And then the second game, 12-12, Toronto won big, 113-93. to So in both contests in the regular season, Golden State, lost to Toronto. So if you're just pointing to different things to kind of look at as we head into the series, I think the more talented team obviously is Golden State. I I think the Raptors are going to have a problem if they're going to play a lot of Gasol on the court because he's slow-footed, and I think the Golden State Warriors will put him in pick-and-rolls with Draymond Green and exactly what took place against Portland where Draymond was getting that second pass from Seth Curry after the pick-and-roll, and then he was being the distributor on offense that's going to happen if they keep Marcus Gasol on the court. So you're going to have to play a lot of Ibaka, Siakam. You're going to have to play some of the smaller guys to combat against the Warriors. And the other thing I would point to is Kyle Lowry. Is Kyle Lowry going to be able to play good defense against Steph Curry to limit him? Because if he can keep up and play comparable uh, back and forth with Steph Curry, then the Raptors absolutely have a chance because you know Kawhi Leonard's going to show up. That voice you heard right there is Chris Black. I'm Jeff Meller here on ESPN 1000. Let's bring in a man who knows a thing or two about these Toronto Raptors. Eric Smith of Sportsnet 590, the fan, calls the Raptors games. And uh, he is here with us this evening to break down the NBA Finals. And Eric... How sweet is it to be finally approaching your first NBA Finals as a Toronto Raptors? Yeah, it's 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 sweet, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, 24 years in the making, the 25th anniversary season next year. It's uh, it's it's kind of been a you know a, a slow build, I suppose, a, a slow boil uh, when you think about the the you know the early years, the lean years, and you kind of had that little tease for a few seasons with Vince Carter, and then uh, you know taking some lumps for a number of seasons before now. You know, the better part of the last three quarters of a decade being one of the better teams in the East, but just not really able to crack through and to, to finally, you know, uh, kind of get to that, uh, get to that promised land and get to the finals for the first time. It's, uh, it's, you know, personally, selfishly for a guy who's been covering the team for 22 years and broadcasting for the last 14. It's, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's a thrill and I'm looking forward to it, but for the fan base in the, in the city and the province across the country, there's no doubt folks are, uh, Folks are jacked up and uh, and and kind of hyped up at a level never seen before. Eric paints a picture for us. Saturday night when the Raptors clinched and uh, were going to the finals, what was downtown Toronto like? Uh, bedlam. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost it was almost as if they had won the finals, uh, won the championship. And, and and don't don't mistake me. I mean, people know that the job is not done yet, and they're not just you know happy to be there. And okay, whatever, who cares what happens now? They still want to win this thing, and they they re- really do accept and realize that. The job is not complete, but it was it was a party, no doubt. You guys have seen the whether it be pictures or video or otherwise, you've seen the images of Jurassic Park and the you know ten plus thousand people that are outside watching the game. Well, you know, multiply that by at least two, if not three or four, in terms of the the party that extended onto the uh, you know sort of adjoining streets and and blocks and neighborhoods in the downtown core, and uh, it was it was insanity. And the crazy thing to me was, and I you know. I say this in a very kind way to the Metro, you know, Toronto Police uh, Force and, and surrounding police communities. I saw pictures of people standing on buses, people standing on streetcars, people literally sprawled across the hood of police cars. Um, you know, the party spilling out into every nook and cranny of the of the city, and then the news came out a day later, a day and a half later. No arrests made on Saturday night. I'm thinking, man, on any given night, if you sprawl your body across a cop car or on top of a bus or streetcar. 
I got to imagine you're probably getting arrested, but I think there was a certain leniency and leeway where it was just an understanding that it really didn't get violent, at least. Uh, it, it certainly didn't get, you know, in terms of the vandalism or fire set or anything crazy like that. So I think fans were given a little bit of a leash by the by the police and by fellow man to just enjoy themselves, enjoy the party, and then, all right, let's regroup and, and get set for the bigger uh, task at hand starting Thursday night. Eric Smith, the voice of the Raptors on Sportsnet 590, the fan joining us here on ESPN 1000. Eric, all right, so uh, 60 regular season games, probably the, I don't think probably, the most iconic shot in the 25-year history of the Toronto Raptors. And, oh, yeah, then, by the way, Kawhi Leonard goes ahead and uh, leads his team past the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks into the NBA Finals. Just where is Kawhi Leonard one season in on the hierarchy of Toronto Raptors? You know, I was discussing that uh, earlier today with with uh, my colleague on the TV side, Leo Routens, who played in the NBA, and he's our TV analyst on Sportsnet. And and uh, he kind of leaned over my shoulder at the at the press conference today at the scrums the Raptors were having after practice, and he said, "He goes, give me your top four. And I said, "Well, do I have to give it to you in order?" Or uh, he's like, "Ah, whatever, Just give me give me top four. And he was surprised to hear that I still had Vince there. I I still think Vince for everything he did, Vince Carter is up there. But it's getting harder now to think of who the four is because. You have to have DeRozan on that list. You have to have Kyle Lowry on that list. And as you just said, is Kawhi Leonard already on that list with only one season and maybe, maybe only one season period? Uh, you know, we, we, I'm sure that's probably your follow-up question. What are the odds of him coming back and, and what is the future hold and everything else? I think he's got to be right there. As you said, he hit the, he hit the most iconic shot. He, 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 you know, led the team to victory and hit that shot in game seven of the second round. You know, he went for, I've already forgotten the numbers, what, 20, 27, 17, and 6 or something in, in Game 6 against the Bucks. He was outstanding against Milwaukee, shut, helping shut down Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, had an all-defensive uh, you know, NBA season, had an all-NBA season. For a while, at least, was being talked about in the MVP consideration. To me, and I don't say this with the, you know, the red and white pom-poms, though, to me, he is the best two-way player in the league right now. Um, I look at all that and think, how could he not be considered amongst the best of the best? Even if you look at the numbers, guys, I don't know if you've seen these, but his numbers scoring-wise uh, in, in, what, 18 games in the, in the postseason now uh, for the Raptors, he's already in the top 3-5 in terms of all-time Raptors scoring in postseason history. It's just ridiculous how he's vaulted up the charts in just one season in so many different ways for this team. Uh, and, and obviously, as I say, Fingers are crossed now that the guy ultimately decides to to you know stick around and stay for another couple of seasons, another three, four, five seasons. But even if he doesn't, I still think that people, almost you know everybody to a man, would say I'd still make the trade. I'd still take this one season because you can't deny that he, along with everybody else, but he helped bring you to the highest level that you've never been before. You know, watching the Eastern Conference Finals, the one thing that I kept pointing out each game, especially the four that Toronto won in a row, was that at a certain point in the second half, the defense would just automatically shut down the Bucks' offense. Uh, this defense is really good for the Raptors. What is the game plan going to be against the Warriors coming up in Game 1 of the Finals? Yeah, you're right. Number one in opponents' points per game, number two in field goal percentage, opponents' field goal percentage, number three in opponents' three-point shooting, and the number one overall defensive rating. So you're, you're bang on with that. And I heard you guys some of the comments and, and some of your analysis before I came on the air. Uh, I think you're right in terms of what Golden State might try to do to the Raptor bigs, specifically to, to Gasol uh, in the pick-and-roll game. That said, 
Uh, and listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not expecting Marcus All to have you know outstanding success being out in you know no man's land trying to guard Steph Curry. But the Raptors have done a pretty decent job, not only in this postseason but over the course of the year. You know, switching. They switch a lot. They don't necessarily you know go over under screens and fight through screens and stick with your man. They're willing to switch and switch and multiple switches on every possession. And, and it's almost like you've got to be ready, no matter who you are, to guard you know all five positions on the floor if that's what it takes. There's no denying that. You know, okay, this is your man, this is your cover, but if you get caught in the screen, if you get caught in pick and roll, if you get caught in, in whatever the offense is trying to do, we're willing to and wanting to switch time and time again. Uh, and I think whether it's whether it's Siakam on green, uh, you know, whether it's Marcus Gasol trying to go up against Bogut or, or, or Looney, and if they go small, and then, you, as you said, I heard you talking about, does that mean mm-hmm. that Gasol comes off the floor, we see more of Serge Ibaka? I just think the Raptors have the versatility with their lineup to try and match Golden State, at least right now. The X factor is, how many games is Kevin Durant out? Because I could probably sit here and tell you, all right, I'm willing to, you know, nobody's going to stop Steph Curry. You're only going to hope to slow him down. But I'm willing to take my chances with sort of the bulldog, gritty style of of a Kyle Lowry. Can he keep up with Steph and try and chase him around? Can Danny Green, you know, stay with Klay Thompson and and, and or Iguodala and chase him around and fight through screens and everything else? Is Kawhi picking up then either Iggy or Klay? I'm willing to take Siakam and trying to do his best against a guy that many, at least in Toronto, are comparing him to. Could he be a future Draymond type, the rebounding, the defense, the three-point shooting? I'm, I'm liking the matchups. Go to Norm Powell off the bench. Go to Fred VanVleet. Bring me Serge Ibaka a little bit quicker, a little more athleticism, a little more you know, in terms of the shot blocking versus Gasol. I like the matchups. But all of a sudden, if you, boom, plop Kevin Durant in here, things change a little bit. And I think that's going to be a major, major key is when, and I'm assuming when, not if, does he come back in the series, and how does Toronto match up at that point in terms of the personnel across the floor? Because I think that could be a more of a challenge, especially if you don't have OG Ananobi. And then you think about the deal that brought Marcus all to town. There's no denying his his uh, you know his defense and the way he has helped this team get to the finals. But one of the other guys you lost in that trade with Memphis, not just Valanciunas, but DeLon Wright, and that was length. It was another long body to be out there. So if you don't have a right and you don't have an Ananobi, and suddenly now you are trying to match up with Durant back in the lineup, I think the task is a lot tougher for Toronto. We're talking with Eric Smith, Raptors play-by-play man here on ESPN 1000 as we get set for the NBA Finals, getting ready to tip off on Thursday night. Eric, you mentioned uh, Pascal Siakam. Look, he's been, in my mind, the most improved player across the league, and I don't think there's any debate about that. Just how good can he be? What have you seen from him in his third season with the team? And where? And just how has he made these strides from your view, seeing it firsthand night in and night out? I'll tell you what, I don't know how he's done it because he surprised all of us with how good he's been so quickly. Uh, but but how? what has he done and, and, and how good is he? I mean, you name it. He is a far better scorer. He is a far better player uh, off the bounce. He is incredible in the open court in terms of his ability to run the floor. Uh, I, you know, honestly, I'd I put him up against you know some of the quickest in the league in, an, in, a, in a foot race in the open floor. He can guard at least three, if not four or five positions. He's lethal from the corner on the three. Not as great up top straight away or on the, on the wings, but in, in the corners, he's unbelievable from distance. He's got a crazy spin move in the post where he can go left or right. He's got springs in his feet bouncing off the, off the floor defensively down on the post and blocking shots. Uh, he can finish high above the rim as well. And this is all from a guy that's been playing basketball for less than 10 years. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think how far he's come, even from the beginning of training camp when Nick Nurse was still saying, 
all right, we're not sure who's going to start. It might be a platoon thing. We might have Valanchunas and Ibaka playing together, but I want to see a little bit of Siakam. And who knows, we might even play a little bit smaller, and maybe OG's my starter. It's going to be kind of fluid. And two weeks into the season, the fluid was gone. It's Pascal Siakam, and he kept that job. And to this point, he and Danny Green both have played 98 of the 100 games the Raptors have played this year, regular season and playoffs combined. And Pascal has quickly become... Uh, if not the second most important player on this team, then, then a very close third to Kyle Lowry's second, obviously with Kawhi being number one. Siakam has been that sort of, you know, Robin to Batman for Kawhi so many nights and has become as important to this team and what they're doing on either end of the floor on most nights. I mean, I, I don't know where they'd be without him, and he's certainly one of those guys that you look at and say, again, if Kawhi does go, don't get me wrong, Pascal Siakam is not Kawhi Leonard, not yet by any means but it certainly makes you think the future could be a little bit brighter than perhaps you might have thought it was 10, 12 months ago when you were thinking, oh, geez, if you've only got Kawhi for a year, what might happen? I think you're, you know, the cupboard is certainly not bare, and there are building blocks and, and solid building blocks and pieces to build around, even if there is a departure. When Masai Ujiri fired uh, Dwayne Casey last year, I don't think a lot of people around the NBA thought Nick Nurse would be able to step in and connect with his players the way he did. Was this a surprise from you being on the inside and seeing this stuff day-to-day up there in Toronto? You know, I, I wasn't entirely surprised, and I'll tell you why. It, it, the major reason is most of the core was coming back. Uh, and again, you had two, you know, two new pieces in, in Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard and two new starters. Um, and then, of course, you had the, the late-season trade uh, around the deadline with Gasol as well. But otherwise, you were coming back with Siakam and Van Vliet and Powell and Valanciunas, DeLon Wright and Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, the list goes on. So you had guys that were that were with Nurse for the last two, three, four seasons. They're familiar with him as an assistant. And I know that it can be tough sometimes to, to kind of have that voice as a new head coach when you've been an assistant and you're simply sliding down the bench and suddenly guys are supposed to look at you differently and have, you know, more more respect or, or, or give you, uh, you know, a little bit more juice, a little bit more power. But I think there just was, there was truly that mutual respect for this guy that, hey, he's been with us. We understand his creativity, especially in the offensive end. And I think to a man, and honestly, guys, nobody, nobody said this to me even on or off the record, but I think in a private moment to a man, I think there was a realization that, hey, whether, whether it was the right or wrong move to, to get rid of Dwayne Casey, uh, whether it was the right or wrong move to, to trade DeMar DeRozan, there, there was a sense that, we're better than what we've shown, and I'm sure the guys would have loved to have all come back with the Rose and with Casey, with the same crew, and, and proven everybody wrong. But you know what? Changes were made, and let's go out with what's left, with the dust settle, and let's prove to everybody that we can do what we think we are capable of doing. And I think from that standpoint, it was, all right, if Nurse is our guy, we're rolling with Nick Nurse. And, and, and it wasn't like it was some fresh guy coming in. With, he was going to change and overhaul the offense and change and overhaul the defense. And you got to learn his tendencies and his quirks and, and, you know, whether he likes to scream or yell or joke around or whatever it is. It was a familiar guy. And all right, let's do this. Everybody all in for one. And, and just from that familiarity alone, I think that helped ease the transition by having so many of the core guys still here. Eric, thanks so much for your time this evening. We appreciate you making us smarter about the Raptors. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. That Thanks, is Eric. Eric Smith of Sportsnet 590, the fan. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Smith. Again, the Raptors play-by-play man. Hey, man. He, he said from the start, it, it, it's worth it for Raptors fans, for people in Toronto, for people in Canada. 
the one year of Kawhi Leonard, this has paid off. Whether or not he leaves in this offseason, like he said, like Eric Smith just said, it'd be great if he signed up for a couple more years. But getting to the finals is definitely worth it. I think, uh, yeah, they have all been pleasantly surprised by how good it has been. Again, I'm Jeff Meller along with Chris Bleck this evening filling in for Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood. Coming up next, I owe you Magic Johnson's response All right, to the Baxter Holmes piece on ESPN.com today. We'll do that next and talk some more NBA hoops right here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. No hoodie tonight. Jeff Meller, Chris Black filling in as Jonathan has the evening off inside the first Midwest Bank studio here on ESPN 1000 and your ESPN app. We've been talking some hoops this hour. We just spoke with Eric Smith, the play-by-play man for the Toronto Raptors, and he told us about how, look, they've been smitten with the Kawhi Leonard deal. And how could they not be, Chris? It's been, they've been rewarded for the bold move that uh, Musai Ujiri decided to pull off when he was when he decided that the DeMar, Ro- DeMar DeRozan era was over and it was time to begin anew and it has worked out well so far. Well, if you're a Bulls fan and you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, when can my team play in the NBA Finals? When can my team play late into May? You think to yourself and you say, man, is there anyone out there that John Paxson and Gar Foreman can go and trade for? can go and get that star and then maybe convince them to stay with your organization. You know, if it's Anthony Davis this offseason, if it's Giannis Antetokounmpo next offseason, who's the guy that's out there? Because clearly, for Toronto Raptor fans, it's sweet right now. It's awesome. They're smitten, as you said, with Kawhi Leonard. He may leave them. And probably, if I had to guess and bet, he probably will leave this offseason. He'll go play for the Clippers next year. And and it doesn't matter because they're in the finals, and it's worth it. And I think as a Bulls fan, uh, the, there's a misnomer in this town where people just love the rebuild. Rebuilds on top of rebuilds on top of rebuilds until the end of time. Let's just keep rebuilding and never have an end date to it because if we keep rebuilding, we never are held accountable because we're rebuilding. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters in sports if you're rebuilding. If you go out and trade for that player, you have to do something. Right, yes. like, like there are consequences to the Raptors getting Kawhi Leonard. You get bounced in the first round. This season's a complete disaster. You get Kawhi Leonard. You get to the finals. It's a success. If you're a team that's just always hiding behind the rebuild, there's no pressure to go do anything. But if you go out and you trade for an Anthony Davis, all of a sudden now the eyeballs and the pressure are on you because now you have to perform. And that's something that we haven't seen from the Bulls organization in quite some time. And that's why I thirst for it, because I want to watch basketball in June. That's the key. You know, like, I I feel like people uh, are just happy with the hamburgers for scoring 100 points and winning a game during December. I would like to see the Bulls play in in June. That's the goal to all this. And if you can get a top five player, why would it not be worth it? It's clearly worth it for the Raptors, and they know Kawhi is going to bounce. Is this top five player going to take away shots when Derrick Rose returns? Oh, please. And, uh, you know, I actually, <laughs> I, I, I think Derrick Rose is going to be priced out of the Bulls' <laughs> options this summer because uh, they have limited cap space 
And I, I think they're going to look to add two or three veteran players to this young group of players that they currently have. Why wouldn't you I wouldn't to? be surprised if you saw a Corey Joseph in a Bulls uniform next season. I wouldn't be surprised That'll if you saw a, a Taj Gibson. Players Fan like that. favorite. Brings, yeah, but, his, but brings like, his lunch pail to work every day. Does Corey Joseph and, and Taj Gibson move the meter for you? Oh, Chris. They're, they're I, veteran I can, leaders, I'm but it doesn't really do anything at that 43-win team. Could, could you imagine if the Bulls roll out in October and, and they're starting lineup because Chris Dunn clearly is not a starting point guard in the league if Corey Joseph is your starting point guard next season? Could you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Would, well, would that be enough for Bulls fans to have outrage, or are they just good with the rebuilding on top mm-hmm. of rebuilding on top of rebuilding until the end of time? Is Corey Joseph st- starting with the belief that you probably have a rookie point guard on the bench as well. No, I was, I was suggesting that with the, uh, with the thought that at seven, uh, uh-huh. the, the really talented rookie point guards have been selected. All of them. Well, when they are, but you just, it's yeah, a Kobe white. I, I was just gonna say it's Kobe yeah. white, not yeah, Kobe there. white. Garland, perhaps. Well, I, I, assume, off the board. I assume Garland will be off the yeah. board. I think Colby White's a possibility, but I don't even. Yeah. I, that's not, like I don't want to get a sidetrack. That's not something that no, is, it, it, is the, a the, franchise changer by the, any the, means. The hope would be if you could draft that point guard and that guy's starting. Starting, okay. That that would be the hope. But yeah, there's certainly no, there's no guarantee that any of those guys will be on the board when the Bulls are picking at seven because they didn't. No, but but like you said, Derrick Rose, I, I think the Bulls might be priced out because. He's going to get a good contract no, from he, someone because he had a good year last I, year. I'm with you. And Derrick Rose is pretty good last and Derek year. Derrick Rose is still a box office draw, that name. And some franchise somewhere that doesn't have a player to build around will be happy to bring in Derrick Rose and try and sell their fan base on that, a former MVP on mm-hmm. their roster. I, I think, yeah, you're certainly that's certainly a possibility. Uh, we, we talked earlier about the Baxter Holmes piece on ESPN.com. Talking about the dysfunction that is the Los Angeles Lakers and how it is even worse, if possible, than it's been in the past. You know, you talked about it earlier. I completely agreed with you at the uh, back back of the seven o'clock hour. You mentioned how LeBron James going to the Lakers was. Did Magic Johnson have anything to do with that? I don't think so. Magic Johnson was a face that they put on the franchise, but the reality was, LeBron wanted to be in L.A. He wants to be where Clutch Sports is located. Mm-hmm. He wants to worry about his film career and aspirations of owning a team after basketball when his playing career is over. And the Lakers were the team that he handpicked, not really the team that handpicked LeBron. And so I, I, the, the LeBron, if you were going to make Magic Johnson the president of basketball operations, you should have no, done so knowing that you were going to need a strong general manager to support him because Magic Johnson, anybody who believed that Magic Johnson was going to be in on the day-to-day operations of basketball, were, were fooling themselves. This is a billionaire who has many other business interests that, that he has told you time and time again he is not letting go of. So the Lakers were naive to begin with, and thus we find out how him and Rob Palenka can't work together in this piece. Some things we already knew. Anything you want to cover before I play the Magic no, Johnson you, response? you're right on because uh, it was the worst kept secret in the NBA last year is that LeBron was going to the Lakers. Yes. People knew about this at the All-Star break. People knew about it during the playoffs. He was going to L.A. It had nothing to do with Magic Johnson. Much like this year, the best kept secret in the league is that Durant's going to the Knicks. Bingo. Everyone is saying it. Everyone's reporting it. I would be shocked if it didn't happen. I'm with you completely. I, that was that was something that I would surprise me if Durant stays right 
in uh, Oakland with the Golden State Warriors. I guess San Francisco now. Um, all right. So Magic responds to the specifically there were allegations about how he abused some of his uh, employees verbally would threaten that. Uh, look, if you cannot get the job done, I've got a thousand applications on my desk of people who can basically calling him a fear monger and that's how he tried to get the best out of the people underneath him magic responded to that earlier this evening on espn i've been in business 35 years i've had partnerships with some of the biggest companies fortune 500 companies in in the country now i've never sat in a hr person's office in 35 years two years with the lakers no hr appearance Jeannie Buss, do you think Jeannie Buss will allow me to abuse the employees? If that was the case, she would have called me in. Joe McCormick would have called me in, the lawyer for the Lakers, as well as Dan, the other lawyer. It never happened, right? I'm, I'm a person who brings everybody together, uplift the employees. I've never abused an employee, and I never will. That's not what I'm all about. Now, Rich Paul had access to the Lakers because he had two clients with the Lakers. He called and said, hey, I'm in Brooklyn. We talked about allowing him to fly back with the team. That's the only time he flew with the team because they were he was in Brooklyn and I allowed him to do it. That was on me. I allowed him to do that. Then let's go to, you know, Rob and I, when we were there, we worked well together. But the little thing that was going on behind the scene that bothered me. And last but not least, lazy. I have built a six hundred million dollar business. You cannot be lazy going from playing basketball and winning five championships. So I wasn't lazy as a player, and I'm not lazy as a CEO and a business owner. Look, I think the truth is that what Magic (laughs) Johnson was brought in to do and what, you know, some expected him to do in the day-to-day operations, they differed. I don't think Magic Johnson ever intended to be doing the scouting trips to Europe to uncover every next prospect out there. I don't think he was going to be breaking down film of the top 50 college prospects and, and watching, you know, 20 games of theirs to actually identify the next talent that the Lakers could pair with LeBron. That wasn't ever going to be something Magic Johnson did. No. And I think he could have, it could have worked, but he would have needed to be, in place with somebody who had at least as much power with him. He had to be working in concert with the GM who didn't have to be subservient to the all-time Laker great in Magic Johnson. Well, Magic's take uh, in all of this is that he does right, he doesn't do wrong. Yeah, Because like you can tell from the first 10 seconds of that audio clip is that could you imagine Theo Epstein if he was accused of being someone doing these same things within the Cubs organization, uh, coming back and saying, well, I've never, ever met with someone with HR. He he wouldn't say that because he understands that even someone of his power should probably understand HR ethics, right? Of course. But but Magic's whole point is that because I've never seen face-to-face with someone from HR, everything I'm doing is appropriate, right? Like, do you you see what I'm saying? Like, like it's, it's... it's no magic. The reason people did, like it's not because you had to go into an office and sit down with an HR person. It's you didn't even know how to conduct your business from the start, which if, is a problem. If it gets to the point where a C-suite executive is sitting down with an HR rep, 
Right. There's a huge issue in that it's probably leading to termination to begin with because it's not too often the C-suite has to sit down with the HR right. member about so like he shouldn't be going out performance and bragging in the that I've never because yeah. like that just shows someone who doesn't understand the process of business. And I get that he has very successful businesses, but he's also a very famous rich person as well. It's a lot easier to have a successful business when you're already rich and famous and charismatic as well. Right. So I mean, like, yeah, you can get away with just being magic in a lot of instances. When you stamp your name on a Starbucks. Yeah, it's probably going to work because people understand who you are and you're pretty famous. Uh, you know, like, uh, that's that's my takeaway so, from his, his commentary. And I mean, thank God that Will Bond and Stephen A are good friends with them because they're able to get him on ESPN television tonight. And I'm surprised. I'm wondering. I didn't watch the show because we're here doing yeah, we're this show. For this I'm show. wondering if Will Bond, can you guys ask Will Bond on Wednesday when he's on with Waddle and Tomorrow. Sylvie if at any point he looked at Irvin Magic Johnson and said, this is a bunch of junk. Can you ask him this? I'll can, tell you what. Can you please ask him? I will relay that question to Waddle and Sylvie, right. but I cannot ask it myself. But I will ask. Magic, tell them is this a bunch that of Chris junk? Black wanted to know. All right. Uh, <laughs> the only, uh, that's the only organization with the front office that might be more dysfunctional than the Bulls, but at least they have LeBron James on their roster. Oh, come on. All right. We have uh, more free stuff to give away and uh, lots more to talk about. This is Under the Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Black and Mellor filling in for a hoodie tonight here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. All right, so uh, if you're a race fan, I got uh, something free for you here. Ah. Give us a ring at 312-332-3776. If you can go, we've got a four-pack of tickets for the championship Sunday at the NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Race Series, returning to Route 66 Raceway. It kicks off May 30th and runs all the way through June 2nd. Four nights of action-packed racing tickets on sale now. For more info or to purchase tickets, visit Route66Raceway.com or call 888-629-RACE. That's R-A-C-E. All right, Chris. So uh, some bad news or bummer yesterday as we found out that Bill Buckner, long remembered for his time with the Red Sox and his costly error, which was a Game 6 extra inning debacle for the Red Sox and has been, you know, a just a thorn in his side for the vast majority of his career, something he had to deal with, unfortunately, because you know what? That's what happens in sports. You make a, a difficult error on a big stage. And in that case, the biggest stage for a team that was in the midst of a 86-year drought, and his error cost the team what could have been a World Series. Now, I'm not saying he, saying he was solely at fault, but Anthony Rizzo, who has met Bill Buckner, was on mm-hmm. with Cap and doing his weekly hit and discussed his reaction when he found out about Bill Buckner's death on the ESPN.com ticker. You know, I, I was actually looking at the ticker and... What it said on the ticker, I thought was just so disrespectful to a guy that had such an amazing career. They're going to put the World Series gaffe on there uh, with someone passing away, where he's such a great guy, had such an amazing career, one of the most underrated careers because of one uh, gaffe in a, in a World Series play. So uh, we have we have spoke, and uh, it was nice to be around him, and uh, he's had he had some really good knowledge about the game and really good insight. 
So, look, of course, it's, you hate to say, look, that, that terrible play, that moment in Bill Buckner's career, I'm not saying it defined him as a person, but in terms of public persona, that is how Bill Buckner was defined. There's nothing, it doesn't make Bill Pers- I'm sorry, Bill Buckner un- in any way not a beautiful person. A lot of people who had interaction with Bill Buckner loved him. They thought he was a great person. The error happened, and it happened on a, on a grand stage. And there's a reason why when people say it will be in the first paragraph of his obituary or they say it'll be the first sentence of his obituary, there's truth in that. That's exactly what Bill Buckner's obituaries say. I looked at the New York Times today. Bill Buckner was an all-star and batting cha- champion, a, reli- a reliable fielder too, but a little grounder forever changed his legacy. First sentence, New York Times obituary of Bill Buckner. That's what happens when a moment like that defines your career. Nobody's saying it meant it didn't mean anything about Bill Buckner the person. It's just the way he was defined throughout his life after that moment by his public persona. Yeah, it wasn't a great moment, but it's by far the most famous moment of his life. Yes. So even if it's not something that you want to reflect upon because he played 22 years, he was an all-star, he won a batting title, you know, 1,200 RBI, the 183 stolen bases, the 2,700 hits. He was a great ball player. He played for 22 years. But unfortunately, when we look back, the moment you're going to remember is the ball going through his legs. And he wasn't a Hall of Famer. And all those stats and accomplishments Mm -hmm. you just listed, while they're nice, had he not made that error, Bill Buckner's legacy as a baseball player, at least for a lot of people, would have been left behind at that point. Yeah, kind of insignificant, a long career. A great career at the time, but once you've moved past, decades past his career ended, he would have been forgotten. He'll never be forgotten because of that error. And there's a that's the reason why that's the first thing that was put on the ESPN ticker. You know what? For people who are 21 to 25 years of age, they probably need that note. This is who Bill Buckner is because, oh, hey, by the way, we realize that you, you were 10, 15 years from being born before when that, when that error happened. And you may remember this is who Bill Buckner is. Well, you know, Bart Starr passed away on Saturday. And when the ticker was showing that, the first thing on his was Super Bowl MVP, back-to-back Super Bowl yes. MVPs. for Super first Bowl one and two. And then it said uh, he won the Ice Bowl. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to add he won the Ice Bowl, but it adds context, just sure. like the Buckner error adds context to Bill Buckner. Yeah. All right. That was Anthony Rizzo with Cap earlier today. He joins Cap every week on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood. I'm Jeff Meller along with Chris Block. We have Andy Liu coming up next. He will give us the Warriors side of things as we get set for the NBA Finals on Thursday night. And also, we have some football that we want to get after as well. I know we touched on it earlier in the show. I want to bring it back a little bit as well in the 9 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN 1000.